Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. Thank you. Good to be here. A little bit unexpected, but uh, a blessing to be here, be with you all. Uh, please go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter number 2, and uh, we'll go ahead and get right into the message. I appreciated what uh, Brother Fisher shared with us, and I listened very intently, as I always do, uh, when Brother Fisher preaches. God has used him so many, many times to help me, uh, many times from the pulpit, but also many times uh, just in the, uh, the blessing of being able to uh, talk and uh, uh, it was a, certainly a divine appointment, our, our meeting many, many years ago. Uh, I was thinking about his message, and uh, when I was a little boy, uh, most Australians grow up around the beach. You know, we, we live in an island continent, so the beach is not far from most of our cities, and uh, the beach is sort of in our culture, and uh, just something we all grow up around. Not Every country doesn't understand that, but, but for us, the beach is just kind of part of who we are and so when I was a little boy uh, my great-grandparents they had a, a little holiday house my great-grandfather was a was a carpenter by the time I remember my great-grandfather he was greatly aged uh, but uh, he when he was younger he'd built a little tiny holiday house at Maroochydore Maroochydore on the Sunshine Coast if you've been up there and uh, so my family were, were you know fairly poor uh, but every now and then, my grandmother, who was my great-grandfather's daughter, uh, my grandmother would go to the holiday house at Maroochydore, and uh, I guess she, you know, sort of pitied me a little bit with our family situation, and so she would invite me to come, and uh, she would take me to the beach, and uh, with the holiday house was walking distance to the beach, now it's all been knocked down, and there's canal estates there, and all of that's gone. But uh, she would take me to the beach, and my earliest memories of is me being very little and her taking me by the hand and going to the beach, and she wore a one-piece swimsuit, and she was a bigger lady. So you're getting a visual? She'd wear this one-piece, you know, uh, swimsuit, and my grandmother, you know, and she was quite dark-skinned, and, and she'd walk me down to the beach, and she'd take me to where the surf was, and I was just scared, you know, I was just little and, and so she'd inch me out and I was quite happy just to stay just as the surf came in. Uh, and so she'd let me do that for a while and she'd hold my hand and, uh, but not very long, just when I got comfortable, she'd make me go out a little bit further. And uh, she just kept doing that and, uh, and she'd lead me out a little bit further and she'd laugh and, you know, and, and she'd go, wee and she'd lift me up when the waves came and but she just kept taking me deeper and deeper. And every time I just thought, can we just stay here? This is nice. You know, this is, I'm comfortable. But my grandmother just always wanted to take me a little bit further. And uh, she wanted me to get used to the water. And I was reflecting on what Brother Fisher said and reflecting on God's working in our life. The Bible talks about us uh, going uh, faith to faith. And, uh, you know, I've always wanted to go faith to finish. I always felt that there should be a graduation day in your, in your service of the Lord where you just get to that place where, yeah, now you've learned some things and you're not as stupid as you were before and, and you should just be able to stay there now and, and kind of find your comfort level. But, but, you know, my grandmother and God just seem to have some things in common. One of the things the Lord seems to do, he just keeps taking us into deeper water. And uh, it is not his will that we would just stay in a place of comfort uh, I think sometimes it's our will, 
but he takes us beyond ourself uh, because he wants us to do more, and I really believe he wants to reward you. I, I really believe God has an eye on your heavenly bank account, and he wants to position you for eternal reward. And so we do get taken deeper and deeper. And, uh, you know, as those things happen, sometimes you're just frankly out of depth. And, uh, and it's good when people are around, like Brother Fisher said, uh, who God uses to help us in those situations. And uh, I've certainly had that. And, uh, and I'm praying, uh, you know, even now that God would help me uh, as, uh, as I seem to be going into deeper water. Galatians uh, chapter number 2 uh, this is, is, you know, I think it'll be fairly practical. I'm only going to turn to two places tonight. And, uh, and I'm going to talk to you about uh, uh, maybe something you haven't thought about. I guess it was something I haven't thought about a great deal, but I did begin to think about when I read some of these verses. And I'm going to talk to you about how, uh, how the apostles uh, related to each other, how they got on with each other. All right, so, so the first thing we need to understand is that, that uh, all of the apostles were also disciples, but not all the disciples became apostles. All right, so we have 12 apostles, but many disciples. So, so when we, sometimes we use the phrase, we interchange it a little bit. Sometimes we say apostles, sometimes we say disciples. When we're talking about the 12, well, they were, they were both, uh, but uh, prior to the crucifixion and, and even a little bit after, certainly prior to the ascension of Christ, when Jesus went back to heaven, prior to that, we do have a, a reasonable amount of information about how they interacted with each other. We find them in boats together. Uh, we find them going through uh, situations where they witness miracles together. Uh, we even find them at one, place, uh, one time where some said... Uh, uh, you know, can you uh, arrange to have me seated at the right hand uh, beside you? And so, so we see a little bit of their interaction with each other uh, much more prior to the ascension, the ascension being Jesus going up, than we do after. Now, the, what we see prior, we're seeing people who are fairly young in the faith. So if we're seeing people who were uh, called to follow Christ. They were fairly young in the faith. They were just learning lots of things and uh, following Jesus. So it's kind of normal, some of the stuff we saw. A little bit of jealousy, a uh, little bit of contentions, uh, you know, times where faith was lacking. And, uh, and that, you know, that's uh, probably understandable. But I think it's actually more interesting to ask the question, how did they get along after Jesus was gone? What, 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 was it like, what was it like on the ground when Jesus was not here anymore? He'd already gone. And he'd already put his investment into them and he taught them all that they needed to be taught and, and the Holy Spirit, of course, had come. But, but I wonder how did they get along after that? Uh, what, what, what happened? What, what do you see? Now, there's not much. There's not a lot of information about their interaction uh, but there's uh, at least uh, a place, <clears throat> which I will take you to, where we can see some of that. And the reason why I think this is important uh, is at two levels. Number one, I think it's important <clears throat> that leaders should look at this a little bit more. <clears throat> because you're talking now a group of mature men, leaders in their own right, 
leaders who now have their own followers. <coughs> These are men who their, their disciples will become famous people. So John will have his polycarp and, and uh, they will have their own followers. They're, these are leaders in their own right now <coughs> and uh, they're, uh, they're mature people. They're being used of the Lord, some of them uh, to pen the scriptures. Uh, and uh, so, so now they're very different to how they were uh, in the beginning when they all just got put together and they'd come from different places. So it's interesting from a position of leaders. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, there's lessons here about how leaders should interact with each other when they have their own followers, their own ministries, uh, their own reputations. How, how, how about when they get together? How should they be? All right, so it's interesting at that level. But uh, it's interesting also just at the level of, of how should we all be with each other? How, how, should we, how should we conduct ourselves? Because, you know, you may have the, you may have the thought that what, what I think we do when we read the Bible, we fashion Bible characters into our own likeness. What I'm saying is we read about them and what we think is we all imagine how they would be. And we imagine how they would be according to how you are. And you probably think that they'd all like you and uh, that you'd like to be around them. The truth of it is they may not like you. They, they may not warm to you. Uh, they have their own particular character. But, but to just look at them, how do they interact and, and what can we learn about how we should be with each other? And certainly if you're a leader in this church, if you, if you head up a ministry, or if, you're in a, if you're in a place in this church where you have, you've got a position or a title of some kind, or maybe you're in the place in the church where you actually have some people that you lead and uh, they work with you. But you've got to interact with other leaders and they have their people and they're doing their thing. So, so it's, it's, it's interesting at various levels and, uh, and uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't think particularly deep, but it's here. And uh, so I want to read just two places. Uh, the first one is Galatians, chapter number two. I want to tell you about Galatians before we read it. So Galatia uh, is the place they call the land of the Gauls, Gauls, Galatia. Uh, it's in Asia Minor. And uh, some dispute as to exactly who, you know, where they were located, but they were a people group. And, uh, and uh, if you follow them through history, as far as we can tell, uh, it seems that they begin to spread out from Asia Minor and uh, they made their way uh, up into northern Europe. And uh, you may know already that uh, what is today known as France was previously known as Gaul. And so probably the Galatians, which are the people of Gaul, made their way up over there. And, uh, and uh, then the connection from Gaul is the language Gaelic. And uh, the Gaelic language is now uh, spoken in Ireland. And so probably that's the historical journey of these people over the time. Uh, but we're reading of them when they're in uh, Asia Minor, this uh, group, this place. And uh, the Apostle uh, Paul is, uh, is writing to them here. And I want you to know the date of the book or about. Uh, it's, this book is, this letter was penned by Paul uh, somewhere, they say, uh, 
they say uh, AD, uh, AD uh, 57 to AD 60, the year. So 57 years after uh, the birth of Christ, so, or 60, thereabouts. And the reason I'm telling you that is because when we're going to turn to the next book, I, mean, I want you to bear in mind the next book we're going to read is at least seven or eight years later. All right, so the date is interesting because we're going to look at a couple of personalities here and we're going to look at where they were seven or eight years and then where they are a bit later and how they're interacting with each other. Because remember, our goal is to understand the, the post-ascension apostolic relationships, <coughs> how they got along. All right, <coughs> you still with me? All right, Galatians chapter number two. Let's read from verse number 11. And, and <coughs> by the way, <coughs> the, uh, the intent of even mentioning this incident is not to talk about something or someone that happened, but the intent is to, to edify the Galatians and teach them something, uh, principally that they should not go back to the works of the law because that's been uh, uh, superseded, not, 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 not that it didn't count, but a, but a higher thing has come. Verse number 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. So we're talking Paul and Peter. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles. But then when they, when, when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was uh, carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Now, I won't read on, but you can. There's a few more verses there where Paul argues what he said to Peter. And uh, basically what he was saying to Peter was, Peter, you're wrong in this matter. Here's what Peter was doing. Uh, Peter had come to Antioch and Peter, Peter had found the place where he was, he was comfortable with the Gentile believers. Peter had got to the place where he had understood that Christ was for the Gentiles, not just the Jews. And God had taught him that. Remember, he had his vision in Acts and he had to learn that. And, and he was okay with that. He got to the place he was fine. But then a group of people came from James, from Jerusalem. And uh, when they got there, suddenly Peter changed his behavior. And Peter, Peter, Peter wanted to, uh, uh, Peter didn't want the, the, the people who came from James and Jerusalem. He didn't want them to think that he ate with the, the Gentiles. And so he altered his whole behavior and uh, changed his way. And so Paul, Paul, uh, Paul rebukes him about that. And uh, Paul, Paul says, I told Peter to his face uh, that this, this was not right. And Paul's argument is this, look, Peter, you know that we're not saved by the works of the law. And you know that, that in a sense, we're already in the Gentile camp because we're out of step with the, the way the Jews are living under the law. You know that. So why do you revert back to that old way that you know that God has made redundant? Why do you do that? And there's some interesting things here. 
uh, one of the things I think is interesting here is this is many years after, and can you see that Peter is still wrestling with the same issues that he wrestled with when he denied Christ? Peter is still doing things under the, because he's afraid of people all these years later. So remember he denied Christ because he was afraid and they kept saying, but you're one of them. And he, and he cursed and said, I'm not. And, uh, and he got through that event. But here we are years later and the same issue is coming up in Peter's life where once again he's afraid of other people because of the fear of those who came from James and he's uh, denying the Gentiles now. He's saying, I don't have any part of those. Uh, have you noticed that sometimes in our life we can have uh, challenges that God will get us through, but, but we wish that they would go and never return again, but sometimes we never get a complete victory over those things. Some, sometimes we still have vulnerabilities in certain areas of our life that given the right circumstances, that can surface again. And so here was mature Peter, who would be used by the Holy Spirit to pen the Scriptures, and, and he's still having some troubles with that issue. And I, frankly, I find that comforting. I don't find, I'm not interested in condemning Peter. I draw comfort from that. because it, it, and, and by the way, you should learn something from that, because here's what we would think. Oh, yeah, you're a baby Christian, and... And, you know, you, you did some things wrong, but now you grew out of that and, and, uh, and you're just better and better and better and you don't have those problems anymore. Sometimes there are some things in your life, they're going to stay with you till you leave this body. They're not going. And you're going to have to rely on grace and you're going to have to go through the pain of being corrected sometimes. And you're going to have to go through the pain of sitting down and dealing with yourself. Why did I do that? How is it that that still has a hold over me? And uh, so that's the first thing that comes out here. Uh, notice also that Paul says, I withstood him to his face. That's underlined in my Bible. So what it means is Paul didn't circulate a mass email condemning Peter. That was not his methodology. That was not the way he worked when he saw another brethren. Paul, Paul didn't uh, organize a political faction to ambush Peter at a given moment. That was not the way he did it. Uh, Paul didn't get with six others and talk about Peter. He said, I spoke to Peter to his face and in the presence of others. It was very open and, uh, and very, very clear. And by the way, uh, this, Paul wouldn't have even done it except the fact that it was a violation of truth. It was a very clear matter. Secondly, other people were being carried away with this thing. And Paul knew, I'm under obligation to speak up about this. All right? So, so they have a confrontation. Maybe that's too strong, but, well, you know, they, they, he's rebuked and, and they have that. And I just, I just want to put that in the picture because you're talking about two people here who've had that situation. Do you ever have a falling out with someone? Or worse, it played out publicly in front of others. And, uh, and, and other people witnessed it. 
And you might be saying, I just felt humiliated. And it, and it wasn't good. And so you have two, now you've got two apostles, and, and remembering Paul's an apostle, and we could revisit that, but let's just, it, it, Paul's an apostle, and he's being accepted by the other apostles as an apostle. So, so he's there, and uh, this thing happens. Now, so that's the background. Now let's go to, uh, let's go to uh, uh, Second Peter, and just two verses, and I won't even ask you to turn anywhere else. Just two verses, and we'll draw some, practical thoughts from this because now we get to Second Peter and we're talking, uh, mm, well, you know, uh, seven, eight years after. Uh, it is said that the epistles of Peter were widely circulated. And so, so meaning that, that this second epistle of Peter had gone to many, many different uh, uh, people groups. It, it got around. It was well read, not just not just targeted to one particular people in one particular area, but it was very well read, a general epistle, and uh, so it was very well known. And here we get to the, uh, towards the end of Second Peter, uh, and did I already tell you chapter 3? Uh, we get to the end of Second Peter, and just something is dropped in here, sort of at the end, and I'm really glad it is, because it's, it's very insightful to this thing we are looking at about how did they get along with each other. Now, bear in mind this, that after Jesus ascended and went back to heaven, the apostles were, were, were directed of the Holy Spirit to go to their own areas of ministry. And so they, some had different areas, geographically speaking. Uh, some were a little bit itinerant. But, but, but they were not functioning, they were not walking around as a group of 12 anymore. They had dispersed out. They were leaders in their own right. They were working their own areas of ministry. There was connection. There was overlap. There was interaction. They met each other periodically. But they were busy doing the work of God. And that's always what happens. Uh, I, 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 uh, I can remember through the years, uh, I remember being in church youth group. And, uh, and now I'd say probably, uh, I guess, about 10 of the people, my friends who were teenagers in church youth group are now in ministry themselves. And we don't see each other very often. And everybody's uh, in their own place doing their own thing. And I'm here talking to you tonight. Uh, uh, you grow to a place where, and you know, sometimes when something really beaut is happening, you've got a, a great group. You, sometimes you just wish you could stay together for the whole journey. You just think this is really swell. You know, we're, it's a good group. We're all getting on. We're really functioning together. We're growing together. But, you know, what happens sometimes is as you do grow together, uh, God sees fit to, to separate you. And uh, that's the Holy Spirit's prerogative to do that. And uh, it can be painful, uh, particularly if you've had a strong love attachment and you've, you've, you've served together. But, but it's about the, the proliferation of the gospel. It's about the glory of God, the advancement of the cause of Christ. Uh, we are laborers in his field, and he gets to direct us. So they, uh, they dispersed, they were directed around. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And, and uh, would it help if I read, uh, well, no. Uh, <clears throat> it's just uh, a, uh, context is uh, he's been talking about some things, and now he's going to reference Paul. Verse 15, and account uh, that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, 
also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Well, there it is, just two little verses. But uh, what we have there is we have Peter talking about Paul. And uh, we can gain quite a bit from just those two verses. First thing we can understand is that whoever the, uh, whoever the audience is that Peter is writing to, they know Peter and they know Paul. Because he references Paul as, uh, as someone that they'd already heard from. And uh, someone that they already had heard, heard uh, had been taught from before. Uh, so can you, what would have happened here is that as the apostles were out doing their various uh, labors and works, and, and they would have been crossing over the same groups of people sometimes. And, uh, and uh, for example, uh, let's, uh, let's, say that, uh, let's say that a letter, Paul wrote a letter to the church, let's just pick one at Ephesus. Now, we're just, we're just example. So Paul has written a letter to the church at Ephesus. It's not a letter, it's a scroll. Are we, are we okay with that? So, so it's, it's, it's going to arrive by courier and the church will be assembled together and they will say, Paul has written to us. And someone will be designated to be the reader and it will be read out to the local church or the people it was intended to and you'll all listen to it and you'll all be received. Now, now, now uh, what could happen then, uh, example, is that, uh, you know, two years later, uh, Peter is moving through that area, and uh, there's no doubt that Peter has come across the writings of Paul. No, we're not in doubt about that, because he references them. And he says that some of it's hard to understand, and he's clearly read them. Now, it's not that Paul is sending Peter scrolls, is that Peter is coming across them in his journeys of dealing with the Lord's people, that, that, that he's, he's finding the things and they're showing him. You know, we received this from Paul. And, uh, and, uh, and the other 11 apostles, you know, they've accepted the fact that Paul is one of them. And uh, that's, that's probably been for a number of years by now already. So, so, so they, they're aware of each other. And, uh, and even Paul, you understand that Paul wasn't with them in the first three years. He came after as one born out of season. And, uh, and he, but they accepted him and they, they clearly saw that, that, that he was selected of the Lord and they knew about him and, uh, and, they, and they counted him as one of them and they, knew, they understood him. And so they, 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 this, what's going on is they're alive or, or progressively they start to die or get killed, but they, they're hearing of each other. They're all just doing the Lord's work and uh, as they're hearing about this going on, they're probably doing what you and I do that uh, they hear about this good thing that happened over here that someone did. They're rejoicing in it because it's all the Lord's work. And they're happy to see that Jesus is being preached and taught. And, and so Peter references Paul here uh, to this group of people. Now, uh, I want you to see, and this is now coming down to maybe how leaders should relate with each other, but also how people in the church should relate with each other the, uh, the mentioning in verse 15 and 16, he talks about the fact of long-suffering. Uh, and, uh, and he mentions the long-suffering of the Lord that Paul had written of. 
So he's saying, you, you know, what I'm telling you, I know you already heard this from Paul. Okay, so Paul, and we know, because we have Paul's letters, we know that Paul spoke of suffering a lot. And probably nobody that, that I can see, nobody uh, in the early church suffered like Paul. And it's another message another time, but I've, you know, I've been meditating on this. He was a chosen vessel. And uh, do you understand that, 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 that before Paul ever got saved, Paul caused a lot of suffering? Children were eating at their tables, crying that daddy wasn't coming home because Paul had presided over their execution uh, as a zealot Jew, or Paul had arranged to go and get them and put them into bonds. There were a lot of families hurting. There was a lot of suffering. Paul had wreaked a great havoc uh, on many people uh, in the early church. And so he did that. <clears throat> That's who he was. And then what God did, God selected him as a chosen vessel and now what you can do, and I won't go here tonight, you can balance up a little bit the righteousness of God, uh, the judgment of God, just how God does things. And uh, God uh, took a man who'd caused a great deal of suffering and wonderfully saved him, and that man greatly loved the Lord. But part of that packet was that man was going to have to suffer great, great things more than, than others. And I don't want to say it wouldn't have been fair, but I'm just going to say in the equilibrium of the way God works, it all sort of fits. He took a man who caused a lot of suffering and done a lot of things. And can I just say to you tonight, nobody gets away with anything? That, that, that not, nobody gets away with anything. Some pay now, some pay later. But nobody, nobody gets away with anything. So God took Paul, a chosen vessel, and Paul suffered a great deal. And I want to make a point tonight, and the, first, the point is this. Peter was mindful of the sufferings of Paul. He knew about them. Now, nobody suffered like Paul. They all suffered. They all suffered. But Paul's is unusual. It's chronicled for us. Uh, and I'm glad it is, because he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to give us that big list of his stripes and his beatings and and his perils. He didn't want to do that. He did it to teach somebody something, but I think God knew that we, it was needful that we understood that as well. He went through a great deal of sufferings. And, and that, was not, that was not unknown. That was not done in a corner. People knew about this thing. It happened in many places. And I want to say that part of having a right relationship with another leader or another brother or sister in the church, part of having that is you need to take a moment to think about their sufferings. Because you know what we do? When we look at someone, the more we think everything's going great with them, well, aren't they a big shot? That empowers us to attack people. Our flesh, our flesh feels okay about, about getting someone like that, criticizing them. Because hey, that's the big shot who has the big church and the big name and the staff and all that. And, and it's easy when we look at him that way to, to criticism flows easy or 
it's easy to attack someone. But if you just take a moment to look at someone and realize their sufferings and understand that what they are suffering, and you say, oh, but, but you just said somebody with a big church. I'm telling you, people who pass the big churches suffer more than you can understand. Their privacy is just gone. If you've never lost your privacy, you don't know what it's like to lose it, to, to, to have people watching you, spying on you, violating the privacy of your family, looking for cracks, uh, uh, to daily cope with that, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the world waiting for you to stumble, uh, the pressures of the ministry, uh, when you've got to be up for others but you're not up. And I mean, I won't go on and on and on, but I'm just telling you, people suffer. But here's the thing, when you look at someone and when you see their suffering, that changes your heart to them. You start treating them different. No one goes up and pushes someone out of a wheelchair. No, no, one, no one goes up and kicks a blind man. And if someone does, there's such abhorrence it would make the national news. Because we all know you don't attack people who are suffering. And I'm saying that, that, that one of the things that will make us all be better together is when we start for a moment to step back and say, look, you know, he's got a very difficult situation in his home. I couldn't go home to what he goes home to every night. Look, 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 look what took place in that family. Look, I'm just saying, when you look at people, they've all got stories. Everybody's carrying hurt. It's, it's not what you think, that, that, that everybody's just bouncing along. You see, when you, when you, when you look at them like that, you can, you can do a lot of things. But when you take a moment to understand somebody's suffering, it'll change your spirit towards them. And so for Peter to say, you know, the long-suffering of the Lord, which is suffering long, that Paul spoke of. That Paul, he referenced Paul. So Peter was aware of Paul's sufferings. Okay, what that does, it, it puts you in a good relationship with people. Okay, so you, 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 can, you can look at the pastor like this, it's going to be very easy to be critical. Or you can say, you know, the burdens he carries the load he has to bear every day. And when you, when you just take a moment, I won't paint everybody's picture, and you look at people, it will change the way you are with them. And even the person that others think might be the big shot, when you realise, you know, being a big shot's not such a big it's not such a great thing. It means more burden. It means more difficulties. Uh, it means greater tests. It's a struggle. It's not easy. It, is, it isn't just what you see publicly, as it were. Uh, families are often in disarray. Uh, 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 supposed prominent people are dealing with the same family issues with their kids that you are, but, but they don't want everyone to know about it, but everybody wants to know about it. And they're trying to balance dealing with their child in a private kind of way, but they're in a very public platform and that's not nice and people say things about you on the internet anonymously uh, just because they can 
whether it's true or not. And you, and you just think because they're a name, that doesn't mean anything, but it means just as much as if it was you they said it about. If that you was splattered across those forums with, with, with derogatory, critical, untrue, nasty things, as much as it hurt you, it hurts them. I'm saying when you just realize somebody else is suffering, another pastor, another leader, that other missionary who's just in the town beside me, what they're going through. And maybe you would think this, you know, it's hard enough for me. I struggle. I can only imagine what they're going through. It'll change your spirit to them. You, if you can be a help, you'll want to be a help. You, when you approach them, you might think, what can I say that would be encouraging and uplifting? How, how can I leave something here just uh, that might be helpful? Right. If you look at your people that way and understand their burdens, their suffering, and you, any concept of being adversarial will go out. So he was aware uh, of their sufferings, and that affects the relationship. And then uh, he calls him a beloved brother. Well, that's, so Peter is calling Paul a beloved brother. Hey, hang on, that's the beloved brother. That's the guy who seven or eight years ago confronted him and rebuked him in, in the presence of others about being out of step with the truth. So you know what that tells you? That it was received when, it was, when the rebuke came and it was moved over. And there's no thoughts of vengeance. There's no issue of I'm going to pay you back one day. There's no issue of I'll never forget what you did to me. There's none of that. Yeah, but you're talking about that, that Paul who called you out that day. I'm talking about the beloved brother Paul. The beloved brother. He's beloved brother Paul. Beloved, greatly loved. Very dear to me. That's how he looked. That's how they looked at each other. Okay, and if you look at people like that, it'll change the way you treat them. It'll change how you are with them. All the things that are wrong with our relationships would get themselves right if we'd get our own spirit right. It's our thinking that empowers us to be critical and maybe worse. It's unspiritual thinking. And we just need to let, let, get, get back in tune with God and, and realize, you know, no, no, that's, that's the beloved brother. Beloved of the Lord. You know, uh, Peter, Peter, Peter loved Paul. And you should love everybody who's doing the work of the Lord. You, that should, you should be glad for them. They're, they're not your competitor. Every man runs his own race. It's not first across the line. It's just that you finish your own course. People in your church are not competitors. They're running their race. God wouldn't want it any other way. Would you dare to line yourself up against what God wants? I don't want to do that. I don't want to be an opponent to what Jesus is trying to do. God forbid. God forbid. I, what God is in, I need to be in. I need to be for that. And I better guard my own spirit lest I uh, inadvertently 
uh, start looking at things the wrong way. So he refers to him as the beloved brother. And, uh, and uh, he, references, he references his writings. So now you have Peter, you have Peter and Paul are writing to the same group of people. So whoever these people are, they've heard from Paul and they've heard from Peter. So what does that tell you? It tells you no competitiveness, no, no upmanship, no diminishing of the other. No, no, quite, quite the contrary. Peter is at peace that Paul is exercising his gift as an apostle and doing what God asked him to do and Peter is doing what God wanted him to do. There's no competition. Peter never had a spirit where, where Peter wrote to this group of people and he said to them, you know, I want, I want you to be of Peter, not of Paul. There's none of that. If, if you felt that way, do you know what you do? You, d- you diminish your competition. You either don't mention them at all or you say something derogatory. But when you mention them to the same group of people and in fact lift them up, lift them up, then that reveals your own spirit. That this truly is the beloved. Oh, I, I'm so glad. Oh, uh, oh uh, brother, brother so-and-so preached a bottler the other night. Oh, there were so many were at the altar. God really moved. Praise God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God that maybe when I preached there, I didn't preach a bottler, but that's fine. Thank God. We're, we're, we're together. That's the beloved. See, see when, you don't, when you don't have that spirit, you don't diminish anybody. But when you're diminishing people, you're feeling the need to diminish them because somehow you see them as a competitor or worse. And I, I won't talk tonight about the, the sin of envy, but it's one of the worst in the Bible. It's far worse than you know. It's the very original, darker sin. It's the very... It's, it's envy is a habitation of Satan. And it's all through the Bible and another time. I'll show you that. But, but, but be careful. When you're diminishing people, see, you're not looking at them the right way. You, but he didn't do that. He said, uh, you know, Paul spoke to you about this too. And, uh, and uh, you know, he reminded them of that. And that's the spirit that we ought to have together. We, we ought to be glad when somebody else amongst us is edifying the brethren and doing the work of God. We ought to rejoice in that. You say, but it wasn't me. But you do other things. Or you'll do it another day. But you should rejoice in that. Be, be glad for that. See, that's what's coming out here. It's just this good spirit that is, that, that, that is here between the two. Uh, here's what Peter was doing. Peter is recognizing the fact that God has given Paul certain wisdom and that wisdom, and nobody has all wisdom, but God often gives some people a particular track of wisdom where in that area they're just very good. In that area, they can see things that others don't see. They have an ability. And what God has done, God has empowered that person with that particular track of wisdom, but it's to be dispersed to the people of God. It's not there to inflate the one who has it. It's not, it's not there that the one who has it would consider himself anything. In fact, if he did consider himself somebody, he probably wouldn't have it. And, but, but so Peter is saying, Paul wrote to you these things and other things. And so, so 
Peter is at peace, that Paul is exercising the gift that is given to him for the advancement of the people of God. And that's how you have to be with others. And they may not, they not, maybe don't have your particular, or there might be some overlap, but if they're edifying the work of God, if they're the believers, if they're strengthening the church, if they're helping people, rejoice in it. And if you cannot rejoice, examine yourself. What is happening? Why am I like this? Why, why is it when pastor gives five people a preach that, that if I'm one of the five, I have to measure myself according to how the others go? What's in me that does that? Well, it's not the Lord. And we need to examine ourselves with this and, and rejoice and have a peace. Say, well, that, that brother has been given that and, and that's for the work. God gave it to him to be used for the people of God. And I'll finish with this last thought. Peter says something else about Paul. He says, you know, Paul writes things that are sometimes hard to understand. Okay? But then he goes on to say, but, but I don't rest them or I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't play with those scriptures or turn them or twist them or, or change that around because I don't understand it. I don't always understand it, but I don't try to change it. Hello? So here's what's going to happen. You're going to be with people and you won't always understand them. They'll sometimes do things or say things that you will not immediately understand. But that doesn't mean that what they did was not in any way 100% the will of God. You're going to be around people who sometimes do some things that you don't understand. Okay? But who are you to think you should understand everybody? Who, who, who are you to think that you would understand everybody? Better that you would accept the fact that there's some things I don't understand. But I don't try to twist it and make it into something it's not. I don't understand it, but I'm not going to twist it or rest it or change it to turn it into something it's not because those who do that go to their own destruction. That's what he's saying. It's just two little verses. But it's very insightful to how we should be with each other and particularly how leaders, this is really something that leaders need to meditate on all over. And at your level, what you do in the church, can you be Peter and Paul? Can you look across to that Sunday school room and say the beloved? Can when they do their special up here, can you say the beloved? Boy, that really edified the church. I wish I could sing like that, but it wasn't given to me, but that really edified the church. Or that brother, you know, a little bit quirky. I don't always understand him, but God is really using him. That would be the balance, Pastor.